You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 110 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your normal host, Brad Rowland, but on today's podcast, you will not be hearing a whole lot from me uh, due to some technical difficulties, uh, really on my end, and some internet issues that I'm having. I'm traveling for my day job this week, and I basically tried to attempt a recording a couple times on Sunday, and then again on Monday, it just was not able to hold up. The internet was not able to hold up on my end, so having to seek control of the podcast uh, for the first time, uh, I think maybe ever, maybe at least that's the opening days of the podcast when I was co-hosting with Carlos Colazzo, but at any rate, you'll be hearing from Eric Cole of Talking Chop, as well as Grant McCauley from 92.9 The Game on the podcast very shortly. Let me apologize for their audio quality as well. Those guys were uh, doing me a favor trying to record, so the quality is not quite up to our normal standard. I apologize for that, but the uh, content is very good, so hopefully you guys can brave this one-week sort of hiccup in the audio quality in favor of some good old-fashioned baseball talk. Those guys are very smart, so I encourage you guys to stick around as long as you possibly can on the podcast today. Uh, as for myself, I wanted to get one thing out there before I, t- I hand the reins over to Eric, and that is the fact that I planned uh, and sort of bold and underline and outline to talk about Nick Marcakis on this week's podcast. I sort of uh, kept away from that the last couple of weeks, uh, despite the fact that he's been he's been fantastic. It's one of those things where I've been very critical of Marcakis and Bright Snicker as a result of that. I still think that he probably shouldn't be hitting cleanup. One of those things that we probably would have gotten into more had I been on the podcast, but but um, Marquecas has been fantastic, and I want to at least point that out on the show. There's nothing you could really ask for more from Marquecas to this point in time. So I want to at least say that uh, be a, mea, a little bit of a mea culpa for me through the first month of the season. I'm not expecting necessarily the slugging percentage to, ca- to keep up uh, in the sort of 500 range, but uh, he's been fantastic, and that's worth pointing out, as well as the fact that uh, from the moment that I wrote about Ender Enciarte and the fact that we talked about him extensively in the last couple of podcasts, he's really started to heat up as well. So you can give me a lot of credit for that if you'd like to do, though. If you'd like to do so, uh, it's one of those things where uh, Sometimes timing is funny, and there's been a lot of that out there in the uh, in the Twitter sphere. So yes, you can definitely give me credit or blame for that. I will take all of it. And uh, here we are on the podcast. So please uh, check us check us out. Please subscribe to the podcast. Do all that fun stuff. I'll be back next week. But until then, here is Eric and Grant. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host today, and I am not Brad Roland. You may notice that. You may notice that Brad Rowland is not here because I am Eric Cole, the deputy manager of Talking Chop, as well as the minor league editor. Brad is currently in a, on a work trip. What is currently going on is we tried to record this podcast last night, and we were unable to we were unable to record basically because the internet was really spotty where Brad was located. So we tried to figure out exactly how to make this work, and how we went about it was. We just decided that I was going to record, um, and I'm actually having to record on my phone uh, with our special guest tonight. Uh, joining us is 92.9 The Game's own Grant McCauley. Grant, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Let's see if we can 
make this thing work and uh, attempt number two. Yeah, Grant's a saint, guys. I, I just want to I just want to point that out. He's he's been doing everything he can to kind of help us through these technical issues. Uh, Brad, the, the call kept dropping last night. We were trying to record a you know kind of a three way podcast with Grant, myself, and Brad. It just wasn't working. Like we were kept we. Brad's, the call kept dropping, and, you know, there was weird audio things because of, you know, latency and, you know, wonky internet connections, so we're making it work today. Uh, obviously, the audio is not going to be exactly what the what you guys are looking for for a lot of podcasts, and we, I apologize in advance for that, but we're making it work today, and we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today, Grant. Um, first of all, just to kind of generally speaking, this Braves team is playing some really good baseball. They've won four or five. They're winning series, you know, left and right. They're one of the, you know, have the best run differential in the National League, or at least maybe they're off by a run by the end of the by the end of the month. And there's just a lot of teams things to like about this team. Just your blanket thoughts about the first month of the season out of the Braves so far. I think it's been it's tremendously refreshing. I guess would probably be one word for it after you you know see the the uh, general tone of a rebuild where you're either not starting the season out the way you want to, and maybe at, at some points you play pretty well, which I think the Braves have done the last couple of years, where they'll show those flashes of, hey, this team might be all right. And then all of a sudden, they kind of run into that, that losing streak that always seemed to find them by the time that you got into the dog days of summer, or by the time you got toward the, the end of the year, maybe they would you know find their bearings and seem like, hey, you know this is team's going to go into the winter, and we're going to feel pretty good about where they might be at if they make this move or that move, or if some of these kids come up. Now we're not really asking as many questions, especially about some of the younger players. Like, it's not a question of, of, you know, when. It's a question of, if this guy comes up, what can he do? And we're finding that out in a number of different ways. We found it out last year with Ozzy Albies. We found it out with Ron Lacuna this year, which is super exciting. We found it out with some of the young pitchers. And we got more pitchers, I think, on the way, which, of course, we'll talk about uh, throughout this podcast. And then you start to think, or start to see, if you put a cast of characters around Freddie Freeman, what can this team's offense become? And I think the answer is pretty darn good. So it's been a lot of fun to watch this team, and I think that that's something that people have always said. You know, you you want to win. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Fans want to see their baseball team winning many more games than they lose, and you want to see them winning the games they're supposed to win. But if that can't necessarily all come together at once, and you're kind of in this rebuild process, and you're – you're waiting on, I guess, kind of the cake to bake, if you will. Um, I think it means a lot for people, or it takes a lot of the edge off if it's a fun, competitive team with good storylines and good young players. And I think the Braves are giving them that so far this year. Yeah, and I will say that this definitely feels more sustainable because, you know, when the Braves would get hot, you know, in, in the last year or two, it would be because, you know, Freddie Freeman was hitting the cover off the ball and he was basically the offense. You know, occasionally we would get streaks from you guys like Ender or Marcakis, guys like that. Uh, or Kurt, you know, Kurt Suzuki, Tyler Flowers, you know, it would be like, it would be a streaky thing. And then it would kind of, we'd start losing more games again. And it was just really frustrating. It seems like night in, night out, even if a couple guys are having off nights, there are other guys who pick up the slack right away, especially on offense. And, you know, the, the yeah, starting, it's a big change. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's nice because you don't feel like Freddie Freeman has to be all world every night. You don't, you don't have to feel like, you know, that you have two players that are going to have to carry the offense or, you know, one pitcher that's going to have to throw seven innings of shutout ball to give the team a chance. It seems like that there's the team is winning in a lot of different ways. Uh, and when everything's clicking, it's like the starting pitching will go six or seven innings and give up one, you know, one or no runs and the offense goes crazy. So it just feels like that this, feels more like a winning team as opposed to last year where you had to kind of so many things had to go right 
for you know for things to go well. Whereas this year, not everything has to go right because there's plenty of guys who are just going, who are who can carry the load. I guess I, I should say. Um, obviously, the elephant in the room in this conversation, and this is actually going to be a fun conversation for Grant and I, is the arrival arrival of Ronald Acuna Jr. Now we were talking last night uh, before the you know the technical issues we were having. Uh, just a, I think a year and a day now. Grant and I, I, I appeared on Around the Big Leagues, uh, the podcast that Grant was doing with 92.9, and we were talking just generally prospects, but instead it kind of turned into, you know, for a, a good chunk of the show anyway, Ronald Acuna mania. <laughs> and it was a ton of fun where we kind of really started really kind of getting our hands on how good this guy could be and, you know, going back and forth. So obviously this first week he's been great. You know, he's batting over 400, has an OPS over 1,200, has, you know, hit a tape measure home run, is getting d- doubles at a high clip, and is really showing off his speed as well. What, what, what's your impression from him from the first week? Well, I think it's as advertised and with room to grow, which is a scary thing for the rest of the National League, is that this is a kid that's flashed every bit of the potential and the talent that we were seeing in spring training, and now he's doing it in games that actually matter in the regular season. And I know that it wasn't everybody's favorite to see him down in the minor leagues for, for two, three weeks. And you're just kind of wondering, hey, what's going on here? When's he going to come up? What's he got left to prove in the minors? And the answer, of course, was nothing, really. But I do understand that once he got down there and, and the Braves were you know, working themselves through the option of that seventh year of service time, which we could argue about for the, the course of a podcast and it'd be a waste of everyone's time. Right. But put it this way. That seventh year, I do think, has enough value to it that I understand why the club or any club is doing that with young players. And, of course, that's an industry thing. But once he got down there and really wasn't hitting, I can kind of understand the merits of, well, let's let him at least string together five or six or seven games or whatever it is to where he does seem like the at-bats are much more fluid, where he is kind of where he needs to be from both the physical and mental standpoint of, hey, you know, let's get locked in. That was a word that Alex Anthopoulos used when we talked to him about it. Let's, let's have this kid locked in when he comes up so that we're not putting him in a position to fail, basically, or to have a harder time getting, you know, up to the big leagues and getting himself acclimated because the talent's going to speak for itself, but you do want to put your guys in position to succeed, and I think that's kind of the, the only question that was left. But now that he's here, I mean, you're seeing what he can do with the bat. You're seeing what he can do. At the plate, in terms of, I think he's worked some really good at-bats. And, yeah, he's going to strike out a little bit, but I like the in-at-bat adjustments that he can make. I think he's mechanically sound. Physically, he's a monster in terms of bat speed and raw power. We're seeing some of that. We're seeing the way he runs the bases. We're seeing the way he plays the outfield. And this is the kind of excitement that this kind of player brings. And you throw them together with Ozzy Albies doing his thing. And Dansby Swanson seems to be kind of back on the road that you would expect him to be on based on his pedigree and his talent, and you throw in Freddie Freeman, and we'll see what we're getting from guys like Ender and Ciarte and Nick Markakis and others. Man, he's got an exciting team all of a sudden, and it's a team that Freddie Freeman's not having to carry the load, and it's a team that all the expectations aren't on Ronald Acuna. I think it's just a good balance across the, you know, the eight guys that are making up that lineup every day with whatever starting pitcher is out there, and that, I think, speaks as much to what the Braves are going to be able to accomplish this year as anything because it just manages that expectation on Acuna because if there's one thing that you know I got from Alex Anthopoulos before the spring even started was 
we're not looking for this kid to come in and save the season and save the team and have these unreal expectations. We want him to come in and get comfortable and be the player that he can be. And I think he's shown that over the first week. Put him in tandem or, or in the group with everyone else, he's going to make an impact. I couldn't agree more. He, 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 there's definitely going to be things that like will be head scratchers. You know, there'll be like little, maybe little base running gaffes or, you know, at, you know, when he tries to, especially when he tries to maybe steal a base that he shouldn't or, you know, swings at a pitch that kind of makes you cringe. But that's just part of being young and, you know, seeing major league pitching for the first time. What we're seeing is an impact bat that isn't just predicated on power, which I think is an important thing because he's got that in spades. We've seen that. You I mean, you and I have been watching him for a long time now. He I mean, he can hit tape measure home runs, but one of the things that he's also really good at is like, if, it, the one thing he can really do mm-hmm. is run when he's on the base pass. And if, you know, he hits a yeah. home run and that's great, but he can also hit a ball and there's been a couple of these already where, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to be extra bases, but he's so fast and he is, he runs like his hair's on fire. So then he'll end up taking a double that shouldn't be a double. And we've seen that on this Braves team a bunch already. You know what I mean? We've yeah. seen that with Ozzy. We've seen that with Dansby. We've seen that with other players on the team. There's just really aggressive base running. And his, Acuna's skill set is perfect for that. Because, you know, yeah, he'll hit, you know, tape measure shots or he'll hit the, the doubles and triples that you, you would expect to be doubles and triples. But he's also going to stretch a lot more, too. And that kind of just gives more value to his bat. That Even when he doesn't get a hold of one and, you know, puts up the big exit velocity numbers, he's going to still be able to make an impact on the game rather than just, you know, kind of being a guy who, like, you know, maybe just squeaked one through a hole. Because if you don't hurry and field a ball that's just squeaked through the hole off of Ronald Acuna's back, he'll take two from you. Yeah, no, he'll, he'll do all that. And and kind of to go back to what you were talking about as far as like this time a year ago, you know, we sat down, I want to say about, oh, probably 15 or 16 months ago when I was going through my first or, or maybe my second, I think it was my second top prospects list that I was doing at the time. And, you know, Ron Lacuna was obviously comfortably on my list. I think I had him somewhere around, you know, I think it was 12. In fact, I'm sure it was because it was my list. And you came in and sat down, and we were going through uh, just kind of where my list was and kind of where the talking chop list was, and obviously throwing those against the backdrop of all the industry lists, of Baseball Americas and you know, Baseball Perspectives and what have you, and just kind of getting an idea in my LB, whatever it was, kind of where our rankings were in relation to what what the you know the quote-unquote industry uh, guys were seeing and what we were seeing, you know, going to games and doing our own scouting, and, and that's kind of the fun of it. But the Ronald Lacuna question about a year ago was not how talented is this kid. It's, all right, well, let's see what he can do when healthy because he lost a big chunk of time yep. in 2016. And you said without hesitation, look, you know, we're way out in front here. Maybe we're over our skis. You know, maybe we're too high on this kid. But when you see him, be special. And I was like, okay. I mean, I, I see that and I appreciate that. But I'm, I just want to see a little bit more of the numbers and the results and the tangible stuff and what have you. Then he went to Florida, and it was about, what, seven, eight weeks of, it's a pretty good player. I mean, he's starting to find himself, and he gets promoted to Mississippi. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I probably would have waited a little while, but, you know, I, I guess they feel like he's ready. And then he just, from there, just made everybody look silly and made everyone in the Braves player development side last year look pretty smart. But uh, be that as it may, then I guess it was about a year ago this time, that we were sitting in around the big leagues and talking about Ronald Lacuna, not the question mark anymore of, you know, what could this kid be, but is what is this kid going to be? And that's where the Acuna Palooza term was born. Yes. And, and that I think is, is a very important genesis uh, for a very important hashtag, at least in my corner of Twitter. Oh, I've been pushing it too. It's just a, 
it's just a fun thing to talk about because when you, I mean, there's obviously top 100 lists have been around for a long time, and there's not always the case where there's a guy who like in the, even in the top 10, there's guys that are going to have impact, and there's guys that have not been on top 100 lists that end up being very 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 good baseball players. But yeah. when you when you talk to about Ronald Acuna with scouts or with player development people or just people who are really intimately involved with the game, it's like they light up. It's like this is a guy they want to talk about. And that I mean that, that was yeah. that, and that was the same for you and I. It's you know this he is there's so many fun things about him and the sky's the limit for his potential. You know, he can be he has the talent and the you know the ceiling to be the best player in major league baseball. Whether he gets there, that's a completely different question. You know, there's a guy named Mike Trapp that has, you know, a pretty firm hold on that and I don't think he's gonna give it away, you know, just no, because yeah, you know, it, but at the same time, this is he is that kind of talent, and that is a really fun thing to have in the Braves organization. And it's been really fun for you know Grant, myself, and you know the Talking Chop guys, and you know just the just Braves fans in general, just to be able to talk about and be excited about. And now that he's here, he's he's, he's obviously had a great start, and hopefully he can continue it. Uh, that that brings me to we've actually kind of hinted at this a couple times already. On Sunday, the lineup comes out, and it's not like any lineup that we at least in my memory, the last couple of years has really come out from Ryan Snicker. And instead of having Ender at leadoff, which you know, I personally, along with others, have, have taken issue with, not because we hate Ender or that we think he's bad, just that, you know, there's some things about his batting profile that don't necessarily, pro, you know, make me super excited about him as a leadoff hitter. And what we hadn't said was we had Ozzy at leadoff, then we had Acuna, then we had Freeman. Those are, you know, debatably your three best hitters on the team right there at the top. And then we have, you know, the pitcher batting eighth, and we have Ender batting ninth. This definitely garnered a lot of attention because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a lineup that we've honestly kind of talked about in theory on other podcasts, but the idea that it's actually being practiced by the Braves is kind of shocking for us. Um, what, what, were, what are your thoughts about using this lineup going forward, and do you think that they're really going to be able to stick to it? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things that, that jump out immediately to me in regards to this lineup is that, A, I do think it's something that they've been thinking about and have talked about for a while, perhaps even dating all the way back to the off season, but definitely back to the spring. And, B, I think that, you know, when you look at what was going on last year, and this is a piece of feedback that I have gotten, and, and trust me, like, I get it. I, I spend time around this team and follow this team on a daily basis for a while. Um, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I think was a lot of the, the look at the top of the order. But it not, it's not always necessarily about, hey, well, this thing is broken. It's never going to be back the way it needs to be. We need to make a drastic change, and it's somebody's fault, and this, that, and the other. I look at the lineup, and I've said this, and I will continue to say this, as a fluid situation throughout the year where there will be highs and lows for different players, and there may be guys who emerge that change your plan that has nothing to do with somebody else, you know, whether it's the leadoff guy or the cleanup hitter or the three-hole hitter or the five-hole guy, you know, has nothing to do with them necessarily being bad and or worse options there. It has everything to do with evolving and trying to get your best and or hottest players at that time, you know, all the at-bats you can give them and all the, you know, I guess, high leverage at-bats or, or all the, you know, situational at-bats you can give them to hit with runners on base and they give you the opportunity to score runs. The interesting thing about the Braves making this big change with their lineup was that they're the top scoring team in the National League, right? So why are they changing the lineup? And and that's a that's a definite question. It it, it does bear some discussion. But I think as you looked at the top of the order, if you're just stacking guys by on base percentage, Ender Inciarte wasn't up there in the in the top two or three on the team. He was somewhere around six or seven. Now that had a little bit more to do with the slow start than anything. 
but he was starting to put things together. But I think that Ender is a guy that might have been, you know, wanting more from himself and thereby pressing in ways that, you know, may not have been demonstrated by having a 10-game hitting streak and racking up a bunch of hits. But the thing about those hits were they were all singles, which is, which is good. He's getting on. He's stealing bases, which makes a difference, of course. But he wasn't necessarily the same hitter that he was a year ago when he was batting 300 with the 200 hits and hitting some home runs and legging out some triples and some doubles and, and other things. So I, I think that once you start to stack him up against a guy like Ozzy Albies, who is profiled as a leadoff hitter throughout his you know minor league career, he's hit a lot of leadoff, and a guy like Ronald Acuna that needs to hit at the top of the order just based on the talent, the ability, and so on and so forth, and then you have Freddie Freeman, that top three seems to have just evolved over time, and that's a good thing. Nobody should be upset about where some of these guys are hitting in the lineup exactly. because, look, where have we been since 2015? We've had guys like Alberto Cayaspo and Eric Young Jr. and Cameron Mabin and Kelly Johnson and, you know, a slew of names. If you look at, at Jace Peterson and you're just like, oh, well, yeah, I guess we're going to get there eventually, and this so, is kind so, of who we have. So, some of those lineups are cringeworthy. <laughs> they definitely are, but now who they have on hand you have more talent, which makes the questions and the stacking of the lineup and, and some of these decisions much more interesting and, and much less of something to be upset about. It's like, I don't understand why, and I'm not picking on him, but I don't understand why Jace Peterson's still hitting at the top of the order. The kid's two for his last 30. What's the deal? You're not looking at that stuff anymore. Now you're looking at, hey, Ender's not quite where he was last year, but gosh, Albies is really hot, and now we've got Acuna, and we want to get those guys in front of Freddie. And if anything, to go back to your question, to make a long story short, although we can continue to talk about it, sure, I like Ender in the ninth spot, at least for a while, to see how it works when you start to turn the lineup over at the bottom because you still get to have Ender and Ciarte hitting in front of Albies, in front of Acuna, and in front of Freeman. And if he does get back to where he was last year and and you know is, is a guy that's going to rack up a lot of base hits and certainly going to steal some bases and whatnot. The bases shouldn't be clogged in front of him if he's batting behind the pitcher, number one, so it really shouldn't affect his steals as adversely as some people are looking at. And number two, that's still a dynamic few hitters to have batting in front of Freddie Freeman, and that's, I think, what you want. So it may take an at-bat or two away from Ender and Ciarte per week or a little bit more. I don't know. It, it kind of depends. We'll have to see how the numbers bear out and how long he stays there. But I like that idea of at least trying something that, you know, analytically or, or whatever you want to say has a little bit more merit to the cast of characters you have. Because that's the other thing that I will say. You have to have the right players in order for this kind of thing to work. 100%. And I think the Braves may have the right players for it. Yep, it's, it's, it's a unique lineup. And I don't think it's going to hurt Ender. That's kind of the thing that, I mean, because I think you kind of hit on it. I think that the, what he wants to do on the base paths and kind of setting up even chances later on in games where there might be more runners on base for Freddie, you know, it it sets up well, you know, and it kind of creates an interesting dynamic in the lineup, especially when you don't necessarily have, you know, those like th those four, five, and six hitters. You know, maybe they're not the quintessential, I guess, the the heart of the order power hitters that we're kind of used to in traditional looking at looking at lineup. We don't necessarily have those guys. I say that, but Kurt Suzuki is kind of acting like a traditional cleanup hitter lately, and we can make maybe we can touch on what he's been able to do this year, which has been kind of wild. Uh, a little later, but you know, it's just a nice lengthening of the lineup that just allows them to produce top to bottom. And you know, it's entirely possible that Ender's numbers will be comparable to, if not better than last year. 
Uh, and I'm hopeful that they are because I mean, again, I like Ender. You know, I mean, he's a you know a terrific center fielder. He's not the he's not a perfect hitter. I don't think anyone makes that argument. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have a, too many guys in baseball aren't. To be honest, with you. And, and I think exactly. that's kind of where people are getting people are getting lost in the weeds on this argument is that just because you move somebody. You know, Ender Inciarte was not just named the ninth best hitter on this team because he moved to the ninth spot in the order. Yeah. That's yeah. not the point. Absolutely. You have to look. This, this is more of it's the difference between chess and checkers is, is what you hope. You want your manager to be playing, you know, the game that is the highest level, the highest form. Now, sometimes your hands are tied. The talent is what it is. You're just trying to make it happen. Some guys are hurt. You know, whatever it is, you just have to make some very rudimentary changes. This is something that's steeped, obviously, in a lot more of a thought process. And, and a lot more, I don't know if experimental is the word, because other teams obviously do it. And the Braves have even played with hitting the pitcher eighth before. Right. They did it a couple of years ago quite a bit. But this is more of a move yeah, that, that's, I think, lined up to, again, to get these hitters, to give your best hitters, you hope, you know, the guys that you really look at and say talent-wise, who would be the Braves' you know, three best hitters? If you, well, Freddie Freeman's obviously taking one of those spots. If Ronald Acuna's not on that list, you've got a problem. And if you're not looking at what Ozzy Albies is doing, then you're not paying attention to the guy who's really kind of come in and, and been so darn good that we're not having to sit here and talk about Freddie Freeman every single night, and that's pretty pretty refreshing. So it's more about trying to stack those guys to the top, but knowing, as you said, Ender Inciarte is going to make important contributions to this team, so I think people need to kind of step outside of the well, it's a demotion kind of look at it and, and look at it as more of if this team wins and Ender Inciarte is playing well and doing his thing, and number one, the team's going to be pretty happy, and number two, I would think that Ender Inciarte is going to be pretty happy with it. But as I said, it's a fluid situation. This kind of thing could change. Somebody could roll their ankle tomorrow, and the lineup could change. So you never know. Absolutely. 100% agree. And I, I, I think your point about what, what Ender thinks about it, I think that as long as Ender is being able to contribute and – doing the things that he wants to do on the baseball field. I'm not sure if he, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that cares if he's batting first or ninth, as long as it's doing, you know, doing the right thing and helping the team win, then he's going to do it. You know what I mean? He doesn't seem like he's caught yeah. up in his own ego in terms of like, I'm a, I'm a leadoff hitter. You know, if, if he's still producing the way he would be in the lead, you know, in the leadoff spot and, you know, maybe getting, getting the team gets extra value from that. I think he'd be all for it. Yeah, nope. and I think that the thing with Ender and CRK too is that, and and we can obviously move move past that. But I think he is the kind of teammate that you want. And yep. and to your point, I think that his understanding of the the larger picture is obviously going to be helpful in this particular uh, scenario. Because look, I mean, if he was out there hitting three fifty and 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 was the player he was last year, I don't know that they would have moved him out of the leadoff spot in the order. Because then you really would have been able to say, it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. You know, it, it's fine, but. Things have changed and things have evolved, and I think that as they do, and as he evolves with them, I think you'll find that Ender Inciarte is going to have plenty of opportunities to be a useful player for the Atlanta Braves, regardless of whether he's hitting first, seventh, ninth, or anywhere in between those. Hundred percent agree, sir. Um, so now to continue the fun talk about the offense uh, in particular, um, so Ozzy Albie's. We, you and I have talked about Ozzy a good bit over yeah, that. He's over good. that, yeah, he's he 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 he's very good at baseball. Uh, I think we all thought he was going to be good a good hitter. I don't think any of us expected to him to be tied for the, the National League home run league at the end of April with nine home runs in the month of April. I'm, you know, I wish I could tell. I mean, no I, yeah, there, there was look. We, 
all of us have said, you know, he's he definitely has, you know, some pop in his bat, and, you know, he's and he's strong, but at the end of the day, we are talking about a guy who's, you know, five foot nine maybe maybe <laughs> and you know right. not 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 a big guy and he's just he's hitting home runs from both sides of the plate and he's just turning on fastballs ambushing pitchers hit, hitting balls out in conditions where you shouldn't be able to hit home runs out i i don't what do you what do you make of it i don't i'm kind of at a loss almost well i think the big thing is that this is a kid that's continued to work very hard and mechanically he was a little bit out of sync in 2017, especially early on. And right. a little bit, I think, in, in 2016. And obviously that whole elbow thing didn't help out at the end of that year. But Ozzy is a guy that he's a tremendously hard worker and he's a student of the game and he's coachable. And those are all things that you want from a young player, especially with his level of talent. And that's why I think that he's found himself in this place that he's in. It's kind of a perfect storm almost where, you know, he's – let me say this. and I'm not trying to put a disclaimer on what he's done here, but – he is producing at a rate in which no player named Trout or Ruth or anybody else would be able to put up these kind of numbers over the course of a season. I think everybody can appreciate that. But what he's doing right now and the way that he's doing it makes you pretty feel pretty good and feel pretty confident about his ability to be a producer, a run producer, and a table setter, and both really, at the top of that Braves order. And that's really, I think, the indication that you wanted to get was, is this guy ready to hit? Toward the top of the order, is he ready to make an impact, and, and how does he carry himself? And the answer to all those questions is yes, 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 and just fine. So <laughs> he's, he's tremendous, and, and you know I, I don't know that there's one secret to his success. I think that he has got his swing exactly where he wants it. Obviously, he's one of those guys that generates a, a great amount of power uh, through the lift in his swing. I think that there's not a hitter in baseball that hasn't had at least some discussion, rudimentary or otherwise, about you know getting their swing and the launch angle set the way that they want it. I've heard it around the batting cage with the Braves. I've talked to different people around the team. I mean, it's, it's discussions that goes on. That's part of the game now. It doesn't mean that that's all they're thinking about, but everyone's aware of ways to you know maximize the lift in their swing and maximize their power. And I think Ozzy Albies is a perfect example of that because when you look at him walking down the street, you wouldn't think about it, but when you see that swing you know that this is a kid that means business. So it's been a lot of fun to watch, and I don't think anybody could have seen this coming. I, I think that it'd be kind of kind of crazy to expect him to do this month after month after month. But at the end of the year, I think this kid's going to put up some pretty good numbers. Couldn't agree more. The only thing that concerns me, and I and I use the con, the term concern very loosely here, because this is, I mean, you had a tweet go out earlier today that went all basically viral, is that, Ozzy Albee should probably be the National League Player of the Month based on the numbers he's put up, just in terms of power production, hits, on-base percentage, basically whatever you, want, whatever you want to put on what Ozzy's been doing, he's, you know, he's a guy to talk about. Um, and, he's, and he probably should win the award. My only concern a little bit is just in terms of like the overall like batting average against lefties. Uh, because if you ask me when, when you hear Chipper Jones talk about Ozzy or you know, other coaches talk about Ozzy, the, the side that he works on, has to work on the most for, with his swing is his swing from the left side. And, that's, and he's going to be going right. against a lot. And he's going to be going against a lot of righties this year. Now, all of that said, he, the power has been completely fine from the left side. He's, you know, the power production's there and he's drawing, he's drawing walks at a good rate. You know, you just have to hope that he continues to make adjustments against righties and continues to work on that swing. So then that he's not only getting power production from the left side, no, at times, you know, you want to make sure he still has that, that contact-oriented approach when worst comes to worst and he has to, you know, shorten up and all that other stuff. But 
that's that that is the definition of nitpicking because overall Ozzy's been amazing and he's been well, what are what are we what are we looking at here just so I understand kind of kind of where you're where you're looking at what the what the concern would be with Ozzy hitting from the right side or hitting from the left side hitting from the left side against righties hitting yeah hitting from the left side against righties is where he does the majority of his cage work I was just making sure I understood that right before yeah. I, I jumped in and you know looked at the wrong split or something uh, but yeah I mean this is the guy that. When you talk, and, and Yohan Camargo is the same way, and it, that may be a name that comes up much on this podcast or, or comes up on some other ones, but Camargo and Albies, both from the right side, they wear out lefties. They're natural right-hand hitters, yep. and they're guys that have worked their way over because every switch hitter starts with some degree of, of natural progression from one side to the other, but they have the talent to hit from both sides. And, and that goes for any switch hitter from Ozzy Albies to, to Hall of Famers. It doesn't matter. You have one side that you kind of start on, and that's where you build your base, and then you kind of work the other one up from there. And keeping in mind, I mean, this is a guy that just turned 21, so it's not like he's been switch hitting for 15 years when I'm talking about Jones here. <laughs> so it, it is a work in progress. I, I think the biggest thing I, I've looked at for Ozzy more than anything is from that left side is where he's going to get the majority of his at-bats, and that is where he does most of his work in the cage on the field. And when he takes all of his rounds, he does them all left-handed until I think the last one or two, and then he jumps in and, and gets his right-handed swing. So that I think is, is something to continue to keep an eye on because as we're sitting here with April in the books and heading into the month of May, obviously all these composite numbers look great. But if I told you that this guy's batting 500 against lefties, you would certainly be excited. But tempering that on the other side with he's batting under 240 yep. against right-hand pitchers. He's slugging 500, so that obviously covers up a lot of that. He's not striking out at an alarming rate or anything of that nature, but he's striking out a little bit here and there. But, it's again, I think that that's to your point. He has to continue to work because even though these numbers are there and they look fantastic, he's not a finished product yet either, which is both exciting and, and also tempers the expectations a little bit to let you know that you know while the talent is there and while it is producing, he has to continue to evolve because baseball, if you don't adjust and the league adjusts to you, you can end up in a bad place in a hurry. And I don't think Ozzy Albies is one of those guys. I couldn't agree more. One last thing before, like, people start going doom and gloom on Ozzy, you know, against righties as a left-handed and, hitter. And please, and please, and please don't. Please, yeah. he's done uh, just fine. Yeah, he's, he's just, you know, it's a long season. Exactly. You know, we, we are talking about a, still a small sample size here. Also, batting average on balls in play from the left, um, uh, as a left as a left-handed hitter, two fifty-eight, two sixty. Yeah, yeah, that you you definitely think that that will come up, especially with I mean, Ozzy's not mean. I know what his numbers look like, but. Ozzy's trademark tools are speed and contact oriented, and you know a lot of that stuff is going to you know work itself out. And a speedy yeah, guy like that, is, you're not he's not going to be betting 260 on balls in play uh, no. <laughs> for long. So, um, I just want to touch on this really quick. Um, obviously, Kurt Suzuki has been very very good as a back- backstop for the Braves, and Tyler Flowers has now returned. My question to you, sir, and we we don't have to dwell on this for too long. Given how well Kurt Suzuki has been doing in the lineup. In terms of power production, just you know, big clutch hits. There's a lot of there's a lot of things to really like about you know in terms of how he calls games. Uh, is he a perfect defensive catcher? No, but I mean the the perfect offensive and defensive catchers in Major League Baseball. It's an extremely short list if they exist at all. My question to you is: Now that Tyler Flowers is back, what do you expect in terms of the timeshare between those two players to be? What we saw last year, and and I think that from talking with Kurt. A little bit, and, and I talked to, to Tyler probably a little bit more. So, um, but both of them over the last year and a half that they've kind of known each other as far as being, you know, the, 
in tandem behind the plate there. It, it works so well because they don't have one of them that's having to do a lot of the, it's having to do two thirds of the work. Now, obviously, it's nice when Tyler's hurt for a month to have a Kurt Suzuki to lean on and have him do what he did. But I think over the course of a long season, you know, both of them have said it allows me to stay a little bit more fresh. It allows me to know that, you know, this staff is in good hands because of who your partner is there and who, who the guy is that's going to go in for you. And it, 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 I think it's just a great partnership, and it's one that kind of came together organically because you went out and got a couple of veteran guys that had been, uh, well, in the case of Kurt Suzuki, he'd been an everyday catcher for a long time, and Tyler Flowers had been a pretty regular catcher for the Chicago White Sox for a number of years. But, you know, when you put the two of them together and then offensively looked at what they did for the Braves the last couple of years, I mean, this is a group. If you put Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki, the Braves catchers together last year, they had the highest wins above replacement of any position that the Braves had out there, and that includes first base because obviously Freddie Freeman got hurt. But the most valuable position for the 2017 Braves on the diamond was catcher. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. I mean, you knew they were good, but you didn't know how good they were. And I think the value of both of them goes far beyond what they do at the plate, especially when you talk about Flowers because his ability to steal strikes and frame pitches is invaluable. If you ever get a chance to talk to Tyler Flowers about baseball, this is a guy that it just he has a fascinating mind for he just goes through this information and, and parses through you know his job as a catcher as well or better than anybody I've ever heard talk about that position and those duties and I'm not talking about just just pitch framing or just pitch selection but everything that comes with it in terms of trying to think along and against a hitter you know the game planning all the meticulous work that goes into it and I think that's what makes him so good so having Tyler back is a good thing um, you know, Kurt's going to be a guy that he has surprising power, and that's been something that's certainly been uh, refreshing and, and eye-opening and unexpected and all those other things. But I don't think he's necessarily a guy that you want to wear out either, and it's good to have the two of them together. So I expect to see him split that time, and I expect to see Tyler's presence behind the plate be extremely valuable for Braves pitchers. And the same thing for Kurt Suzuki. I just think Tyler does things a little bit better in the nuance department, especially the pitch-framing department than just about anybody, and, and that is a valuable skill, and that, in addition to the game planning and all the other things that come with it, is superbly important, and that's what makes them so good is the fact that they're both there together for you to choose which one you want to go with on a given day. So that's kind of how I expect it to go uh, with more of a 50-50 split between those two guys. Well, that leads into this next part in a, in a good way, and that is the starting rotation. I would say that their performance has been you know, above average to good. There's, there's definitely been times where, you know, there's been, you know, starts where things have gone off the rails for various reasons. But for the most part, you know, other than some, you know, some walk issues and, you know, maybe not going into deep enough into games that you would like, this rotation has performed pretty well. But, you know, just in the last, you know, week or two, we've had, you know, Anibal Sanchez go down with an injury that looked really scary, but as it turned out, you know, it wasn't nearly as bad as they, you know, it, it kind of looked when he was kind of like a non-contact, you know, grabs his leg and immediately collapses type injury, but it turned out to just be a hamstring. And then we have Julio Tehran have to leave his start early because his shoulder is really tight. Matt Whistler has always been, been set back down after a really good start, followed by one where he was kind of lucky to get out more unscathed than he was. Uh, you, you think? You, yeah, you, well, I also, I also think if you make a tag at a plate, maybe Matt Whistler's out of that without them start looking nearly as bad. Well, as that, 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 is per- that, that is a perfectly reasonable point. Uh, you, won't, you will see few yeah. 
tags at the plate that were worse than the ones that Carlos Perez tried to apply. Um, Unfortunately, but, yeah. Yeah, but you know, but was but obviously, but Wilson was definitely not the, the was not the same pitcher in that outing either. You know, it wasn't really striking out guys. wasn't missing pit bat. No, no, no. He did, but he he was not given any, he was not given any favors by his defense to be sure. Um, my question is, Luis Gohara obviously isn't ready yet. You know, command isn't there. You know, has kind of struggled in his rehab outing, especially in Gwinnett. At Gwinnett. And Mike Soroka is lurking right there at Gwinnett. And we kind of thought that there was a good chance that he might get called up this week, uh, assuming, you know, depending on what happened with Julio Tehran's bullpens. And as of 7.43 this evening on, Mon- uh, on Monday, he hasn't been, been called up uh, officially to, you know, take anyone's you know, spot to, to make a start here and there if anyone's to miss any time. My question is, how, how long, in terms of Louise and for Soroka, how long do you think we're going to have to wait? Well, I think it has a lot to do with where the Braves' rotation is in terms of health, and that's obviously a big question in lurking or, or looming or a big question mark just hanging out over the rotation is if Julio Tehran goes down for any length of time, what does that do to this rotation? And the question or the answer to that is, in my opinion, and, and maybe some other people don't think this, but I think it has the tendency or the possibility of destabilizing the rotation because I know Julio has been a mercurial performer the last couple of years, but a healthy and effective Julio Tehran, especially a healthy one who has a chance to be effective, makes this rotation better. And that certainly could be an issue. Now, the, the plus side of that is you've had guys, for the most part, I'm talking about you know McCarthy and Fulton Evans and Newcomb and, and these guys that have come in and done pretty well. I mean, I, I know that you want to see these guys getting into you know the, the middle to latter innings with a little lower pitch count and taking you, you know, so that your bullpen doesn't have to get eight to 10 to 12 outs every night. You don't want that. Um, but I, I also look at the month of April as the month where, Hey, if it's going to happen early on, I kind of expect April to be the month where maybe you got to lean a little bit more on the bullpen than you normally would. Just as you get your starters up to that 25 and 30 and 35 inning limit where maybe they really feel like it's not spring training anymore. It's not, Hey, I'm going to go out and work on my change up and throw 75 pitches and feel pretty good about where I am and then see where I'm at in five days and, and obviously do your work on the side. This is much more game planning, you know, advancing and going to work and, and trying to get to the results that you need every fifth day if you're a starting pitcher. And that, that's where I think that the month of April is still an important transitional month from spring training into the regular season, whether people like that and believe that or whatever, it's just kind of the way I view it. And you know, I haven't thrown an inning in the major leagues and I haven't been given the ball every fifth day, so maybe I don't know exactly how it feels, but I just this kind of the philosophy that I have with it is that early on it's a time where maybe your starters aren't quite ready to go seven, eight, nine innings each time out, and complete games have apparently been outlawed by modern-day baseball, you, you, so I yeah, don't know if we're going to see another one of those. Well, that's kind of wild. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I mean there's been some teams uh, looking at you, Gabe Kepler, that have kind of taken this to the extreme where, you know, that third oh, time. The playoffs. Yeah, the third time through the lineup. And, and just that's, that, that was a little Rusa thing, too. He was, was constantly yeah. changing relievers. Yeah. Um, and, and, but that's the, the playoffs is the big thing where I think that now, because the playoffs is what? It's the national stage. It's in the consciousness of, of everybody. Because in the playoffs, you catch not only the, the hardcore baseball fan of a given team, but now you're seeing everybody in baseball that is a, it obviously is a fan. Plus the fringe fans are seeing, well, this is the playoffs. This is the National League Championship Series, the American League Championship Series. This is the World Series. What are we doing? Well, we're having our starting pitcher throw four innings and 65 pitches because statistically the third time through the order, he can't do this, that, and the other anymore. And, you know, a, a, 
I'm kind of torn on it. Like I get it for all the smart that it is and then all of the, you know, the, the analytics and the data that goes with it that makes sense. I also look at it and say, I think we're almost micromanaging to some extent with some of the guys that we're talking about. Now, now some of them, when you're talking about your fourth or fifth starter, if that's who's out there, maybe you don't want to, you know, expose them a third or fourth time through the order, but asking your bullpen to cover four and five innings every night for 162 games, is a practical impossibility. It's not going to work. So you can't manage it that way. And I think that's what Gabe Kapler learned beginning in the first series of the year that, hey, maybe I don't need to use eight relievers a night because this is not going to work. I don't care if you've got a, a ferry or a shuttle set up that's taking players to and from your AAA affiliate. You can't do that. So that's that's where I think, to, to get back to your question about the Brave, it's the bullpen's been asked to do a lot. It hasn't necessarily performed in the walks department, which I think is something that will normalize. But the starting rotation has been adequate. and But without a Julio Tehran, if you've got a Mike Sirocco around, it's very exciting, and I think that's a possibility that could happen sooner than later. I've always felt, just going back from the spring, that they didn't really feel like this was a kid that needed a ton more minor league seasoning because he's so smart. So maybe this is a guy that we're going to see sooner than later, and if we do, then this may be one of those guys that – we don't see going back down and coming back up and going back down and coming back up too often. Even if he has to make a couple spot starts here with Julio on the DL, I think once Mike Soroka gets up, there's a very good chance that he'd be there to stay. Yeah, I, I think that you know it's entirely possible that this first stint, if, if it were to happen, because as of now, and again, I kind of keep checking Twitter just to make sure nothing is broken, uh, but it, it doesn't appear as of right now that I mean, the bullpen session yesterday, the Braves have said that Tehran felt fine and he was good to go and he wasn't going to have to miss his start. But if Sor- Soroka's first stint could very well just be a couple starts while Tehran would get healthy. Um, I don't think it's going to be for Anibal Sanchez. It seems like the indications, at least that I'm aware of, is that Anibal should be good to go for his start this weekend. Um, but I don't. I think that by June that somehow in some way, and again, I'm th- what happens in terms of, you know, pitcher's health, you know, there's a reason why a lot of teams value pitching so highly is because it's a very volatile commodity and largely it's because of injuries. Um, it's, you know, arms go out, injuries happen, and then you have to have someone to slot in. And I think at some point by June, we are going to see Mike Soroka in this rotation because I don't know how much you've seen him at Gwinnett, but he's making AAA look easy. You know, it's right. the, even the hits he's given up, they're all infield singles because, you know, the infield defense on, you know, down there at Gwinnett isn't exactly what I would call exciting. But, you know, it's it, and he's just he works quickly. He doesn't seem phased by anything. And, you know, again, we could very well see him this week. I I don't have any new or exciting information on that regard. But at the same time, you know, there's enough whispers floating around that at the very least the possibility is still there. Um, but even if it doesn't happen this week, I don't think we're going to have to wait very long for him because he's really exciting. Gohara, that becomes an interesting question because, you know, Anibal Sanchez was pitching pretty well before he went into the on the disabled list. And, you know, what the Braves do with that other rotation spot, uh, especially with Soroka lurking, is going to be kind of an interesting thing to watch because Gohara is another big arm. Yeah. I'll say this, though. If the question becomes Gohara or Anibal Sanchez in rotation, I think that the answer is going to be Luis Gohara. Um, but I, but I also think since he got option down to the minor leagues, that they're going to give him at least a couple of three more turns to just kind of get the rust knocked off. Because Anibal Sanchez, the guy's been around long enough that at some point in his career, there may not be a starting spot that's always you know there for him. But I do think he's a guy that as as you look down in the bullpen and you think, man, well, 
who could come out and cover two or three innings today if somebody can't go to the post and gets knocked out after two and a third? That's your guy. Yeah, that's the kind of guy. Now, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that Max Fried is that guy, but maybe he is. You know, and, and it, that's an opportunity for a young, you know, starting pitcher by trade to maybe cut his teeth in the big leagues and become a have a useful role until which time he could maybe find a spot in rotation because. Look, it's a numbers game like anything else. There's five starters. There's five starting spots, and you know, you've know you got a, a slew of starting pitching prospects that have already come up, guys that are knocking on the door. You've got some veterans who are already here, and you've got the possibility of trades and free agents and other things that can shape this rotation. And the fact that, you know, and Braves fans may not be totally comfortable with this thought just yet, but I think we're all pretty well aware that at some point you're going to start flipping the things that you have the most of for things that you don't have. And that, of course, is what Alex Anthopoulos will be charged with, is taking the assets in-house and turning them into the things that you need to complete the 25-man roster at the big league level. And, and Alex has said this, you know, I think time and again since he came in, and, and time and again to me personally, is, you know, the big league club is the focus for him. Love having this minor league talent, want to continue to have this minor league talent, want to keep the right guys and want to trade trade guys that will bring in the things that we don't have. And that's just part of the deal. And I think that's something that's going to start becoming a reality, maybe this summer, maybe in the winter, and then maybe over the next 18 months we'll start seeing those kinds of deals take place. One last thing, Grant, before I let you go, because um, so, you can get, get on with your evening. The bullpen has been – it's been kind of rough. Um, now, some of it is seems like it's a, a small sample size – you know, kind of aberration, especially when some of the guys you're talking about haven't necessarily had this issue, but the walks have been pretty concerning and they have made uh, several games much more interesting than they probably should have been, uh, if we're just being honest about it. Now, I'm not counting the game in Chicago where they're basically playing in a blizzard uh, because that game was just kind of a... shouldn't have happened and was a dumpster fire to begin with, but yeah, what what do you think about the bullpen going forward and who, who are the guys you really like and... Do you kind of see this this sort of this control this command and control issue that the bullpen seems to have is kind of working itself out? I think it's going to work itself out. It, it actually is an amalgamation of all those things. Number one, I do think that this rate stat is something that will normalize because when you're talking about some of the pitchers that we're looking at here with these walk issues, they have never been this pronounced before, and I don't know what the reasoning is for it or why it's you know playing out the way it's been playing. But you know there are guys in that bullpen that I look at and think you know, the stuff's too good and you just got to come in and throw strikes. And that's easy to say, but for some reason it's just not happening right now. But again, I kind of chalk it up to it's a long season. Even pitchers have to make these adjustments and, and do things. And, you know, it may have a lot to do with how hitters are currently approaching the Braves bullpen because they're not necessarily trying to be over aggressive because what's been going on. Well, you might get a free pass. So that may be changing the approach against them and which may just be applying a little bit more and more and more pressure but for the most part, I think it started to get a little bit better over the last week or two. I know the walks are still there. Look, these guys are going to walk hitters. It's going to happen. But walking hitters at a rate of six and a half to eight to nine per nine innings is something that you can't have. You know, a walk per inning is not going to work. I mean, you cannot come into high leverage situations and give away free passes. We've seen what's happened in some of these cases. And I think in some extent, for, to some extent, at least in the first two or three weeks, you might have kind of gotten away with it a little bit more than you did in the in the games and weeks that followed. But, you know, a guy like A.J. Minter, who I think has walked 10 guys in 12 innings or 10 guys in 11 innings, that to me is a little bit out of character for him, even though he does issue a, a free pass here or there in the course of his minor league career. He also doesn't give up base hits, which helps. 
not everybody has been lucky enough to walk a couple of guys and not give up base hits. And that's kind of been the problem for a guy like you know, Jose Ramirez, who coming into the year, he was supposed to be a useful piece. Sam Freeman, obviously, was a guy that they leaned on heavily last year and brought back. And, you know, I think that he was kind of a victim of just being overused a little bit because he had been so dependable. And he was kind of that rubber arm guy that, hey, well, we don't have much time. Get somebody up. Who's got to get up? Well, it's got to be Sam Freeman. And so I think that and then a little bit of control, you know, spottiness and whatnot, I think it just kind of snowballed on some of these guys. But on the plus side, what we've seen from Shane Carl has been pretty unbelievable over the first month. He's been and great. right behind him, Dan Winkler has been tremendous as well. And that's the guy that I think you're starting to look at and say, hey, I need a couple of strikeouts. Who have I got to go get? Well, I think Dan Winkler is your guy right now uh, amongst the guys who are your, not your closer. But if you need a strikeout to get out of the seventh or eighth inning, that may be the guy that you're starting to look at more and more and more. And I think that's nothing but a good thing in terms of the depth on the team because when things do normalize for some of these other guys and when you do maybe get another piece or two that's not there right now and get them locked in there, um, you know, everybody's going to start to settle into their roles. Uh, you know, Peter Moreland's a guy that I don't think has ever had that kind of control issues that, that he's showing this year in terms of the walks. It's just everybody's got an abnormally high walk rate, and it's just extremely strange. And it's, I think, maybe just one of the stats over the course of the season that has got to work itself out. But the arm talent-wise, and I said this uh, in my recent Q&A you know, that I did on, uh, on 9290game.com, I think the arm talent is there, but the adjustments obviously have to be made in order for this group to have success. And like anything else, if the Braves are hanging around in position to, to make a little bit of noise in June and July, I'm sure that Alex Antopoulos will start looking across the league to see if he can find the bullpen help that he needs. Grant, you are a scholar and a gentleman for helping us out uh, and making this work uh, te- you know, technologically speaking. We've, we've dealt with a lot of different fixes and issues, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us tonight. Uh, you're always a pleasure talking to you. You're one of my best buddies in, in baseball. Uh, if you have anything going on you want to plug, plug it now, buddy. Yeah, the big thing I'm doing right now is uh, 9290game.com. We just relaunched our website a few months ago. It's kind of been a slow build and a slow burn to, to kind of get it back up to spec and, and get it running and get it all you know squared away in Google and all that fun stuff. But uh, putting all my content there right now that includes prospect profiles, Q&As, articles, features, all kinds of stuff in terms of the written um, working through a few things, trying to get the, the podcast thing figured out. I'm hoping that at some point this summer I'll be able to relaunch that and, and get some, uh, some good content, audio content coming again, and even some video stuff we've got maybe in the works as well. So i got a few projects that are burning, but it just kind of depends on some things that are out of my control right now. But, you know, it's always a pleasure to come on and chat with you guys and, you know, and, and just jump into this whole thing and, you know, just kind of enjoy some of these storylines right now because the news and, and the, the happenings this year a little bit more fun than they've been the last few years. So uh, certainly a good time to talk to, to you guys about it. And, and obviously we talk on a pretty regular basis. So anytime I get a chance to chat braids with you, Eric, I really appreciate it. So thanks for having me. It's always a blast, man. Uh, we, I'm, I think that the funny thing is there are so many other things we could have talked about. Um, if you want to find out more, inform- you know, more information and more content about the Braves, make sure you go to TalkingTrop.com. Uh, for example, we could have spent a good bit of time talking about Nick Markakis. Fortunately, Scott Coleman had an article go up about his hot start to the season there, for yeah, example. Yeah, good uh, stuff. Yeah, it's just, you know, the, it's, we, the, the staff at Talking Chop has really kind of 
over the last three years, they've always been great. But this year, they've really stepped up, and we're covering, we're covering the majors and the minor leagues. And it kind of helps that there's a lot more exciting things to talk about with the Braves this year as opposed to talking about how bad X, Y, or Z has been. Uh, so there's a lot of really interesting things to talk about, why guys are succeeding, and you know what, what we can kind of expect going forward. All that content. Um, you know, whether, whether it be from minor league or major league recaps where you just want to know what happened the night before to more advanced kind of analysis, all of it's there. So make sure you go take a look at it. If you're if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, first time, make sure you subscribe to it on iTunes. Leave five-star reviews. Those really help the podcast grow and to make sure that they can spreads and gets out word out to more people. Uh, make sure you follow Grant on, on Twitter. Uh, he, he's a great, great Twitter follow. Uh, and, you know, obviously, I, he, I think that all of us are kind of benefiting a little bit from people actually being excited about the Braves because, you know, it makes us want to generate more content more when actually people are engaging with us. So make sure you and you follow him on Twitter. I think we've covered everything we need, to, we, t- we need to talk about tonight, Grant. Again, really appreciate you coming out. Brad should be back next week. Uh, you won't have to deal with me as, the, as your host for just except for this week. <laughs> but make sure, whatever you do, I have sources on this that Brad said that Ozzy Albies needs to be traded by the Braves because he's at peak value right now. And you guys know the drill. <laughs> so make sure that you tweet your responses to this thought to Brad at BT Roland, uh, who is also the regular podcast host. And you should definitely follow him for other reasons other than this. But your first tweet, once you follow him, should be asking him why the Braves should trade Ozzy Albies. I would greatly appreciate it. And I expect some angry DMs over the next week. Uh, <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. We really appreciate you. And until next time, we'll see you. to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.